You're listening to On The Record Off Script. My name is Mark Coffin, and I'm your host. This is the first episode of Season 2 of the Off Script Podcast. I'm not 100% sure what this podcast is going to be about each week going forward. Season 1, for those who didn't listen to it, was about digging into the experience of Nova Scotia's former MLAs. It was a serialized story told from the beginning of a typical MLA's career to the end, and along the way we were able to shine a light on how politics works inside the halls of power in Nova Scotia. Season 2 is going to be different than that. It's going to be mostly interview-based, and we'll be speaking with people who are involved in both electoral politics and community activism, about what they're doing, what they're learning, and what the rest of us can learn from their experiences. What we do at Springtide and on this podcast is not journalism. Our goal here, the measure we hold ourselves to, is whether or not we're helping the people who are engaged in some form of community leadership, political leadership, and activism, or are interested in those things, Our goal is to help those people do better, and this podcast, unlike our other podcast called Govern Yourself Accordingly, will be centered around what's happening in this part of the world, Nova Scotia, the Maritimes, Atlantic Canada, and if you live here and are engaged in the politics of your community or our communities or want to be, this podcast is for you. I'm not sure there could be a better topic for the transition from season one to season two of this podcast than the topic we chose for today's show. And I'll admit, I didn't know much about what we were going to be talking about today until last Thursday. That's when I heard about this story, about a book signing by a local author at the Coles Bookstore in New Glasgow being cancelled. The signing was cancelled due to the pressure the store was under from what a Chapters Indigo spokesperson described as concerns that customers' joyful and safe experience might be compromised. The pulp mill at Abercrombie Point at the tip of Boat Harbor in Pictou County is the subject of a new book by Joan Baxter called The Mill. 50 Years of Pulp and Protests, and it is her book that is at the center of this controversy. There were were sort of vague hints that someone said they would destroy the book in front of me. They were worried for my safety. I said I wasn't worried for my safety. I worked for BBC in Africa for so many years. I've covered coups. I've covered wars. Um, I've had their special hostile environment training. I said I cannot imagine that I should be afraid in a bookstore in Nova Scotia. I had a chance to read the book this weekend, and in the first chapter, I quickly realized how powerful what Joan Baxter had written about was. You know how there are books that are funny, like actual laugh-out-loud funny? I'm not talking about a book where you read something, see the humor in it, and perhaps say, huh, to yourself in your inside voice, and move on. I'm talking about the kind of book where you see the words on the page, and they jump out at you, and you actually can't help yourself from laughing. This book is the opposite of that. The real human suffering, tragedy, years of citizen activism, the slow and insufficient political response, all of which is described in the book and heavily researched, is the kind of stuff that will make your stomach turn. It made my stomach turn while I was reading it. The government of the time, apart from giving them access to over 100 million litres of water a day, um, which they had to build a dam to do, uh, they built a causeway for them to link Abercrombie Point and and Pictou, um, gave them access to 230,000 acres of some of our best crown land, um, gave them incredible tax breaks. And the biggest thing of all is that they agreed (laughs) that the people of Nova Scotia would, the Department of Environment would be responsible for the waste from the mill. I've already told you that I don't think there's a better topic to transition from season one to season two of this podcast than the topic of today's show. Here's why. There is so much more going on in politics in Nova Scotia than what we were able to capture in our 75 plus hours of interviews with former Nova Scotia politicians. 
We went back pretty far, but not more than a few decades. Joan Baxter's book tells the story of a political fight that's been happening for over half a century in this province. And while it might not be the fight that's happening in your community, there are broader lessons about activism, corporate influence, and what has been happening inside the halls of power in Nova Scotia for a very long time. And in the work we produce so far on this podcast, we've really only been sharing one side of the story. So today on the podcast, I'm chatting with Joan Baxter about her new book, The Mill, the 50 years of community activism protesting the pulp industry's practices in Pictou County and the politics surrounding it all. So I had a chance to read the book over the weekend, and it is, um, you know, an amazing collection of, of research and facts and stories that I don't think most people uh, will be aware of. And I often hear authors ask the question uh, that I think for most of them is a pretty softball question uh, to start interviews like this one. But knowing the story that's unfolded in the last couple of weeks, uh, I understand the answer will probably be a bit more complicated, but I'm going to ask it anyways. How, how is the launch of your new book going? What's the response been like? <laughs> well, it, it was in two stages. Um, when it started, it was extremely low key. We could almost say it was completely obscure. Um, we held um, a book launch. The Wooden Monkey in Dartmouth kindly agreed to donate space for uh, a low key book launch um, way back in the beginning when the book first appeared. Um, there was a second launch that we organized for the Museum of Industry in Stellarton, Nova Scotia. And that had a good turnout. There were about 100 people there, which was close you know, to capacity. And um, yeah, we sold a few books and I had three book signings planned, one at Char Chapters in Dartmouth and then one in the Truro Mall at Coles and then one in New Glasgow at Coles. And uh, I had actually been fretting that the media weren't really picking up the story of the book. Um, you mentioned that it's mm. a hyper-localized story and history and you know that was a fear that i had that it's a, a mm -hmm. mill in picto and a lot of people even nova scotians don't even know it's there or if they do they don't know anything about it and it's 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 not an obvious um bestseller let's put it that way mm -hmm. so i was feeling quite disheartened by that and thinking this is going to make a really tiny little blip and disappear into oblivion and uh as with some of my other previous books, I, you know, I will be the only one mourning its disappearance and death. <laughs> and um, then I got word that there had been a lot of complaints lodged in New Glasgow. And would I agree to pretend <laughs> at the book signings in Truro in New Glasgow that I was there to sign my other book that came out this year, which is on a completely different topic, uh, African food wow. and food sovereignty. <laughs> Um, would I pretend or sort of sit there and they would promote it as me signing a book about African food called, the book is called Seven Grains of Paradise. And this is what was, the bookstore asked you to do. Yeah. Well, not the bookstores. This is again, chapters, uh, the people who organized the signing for these things and they would have the mill book there and I could sign it, but they just wouldn't be promoting it because they didn't want to cause a ruckus. And I agreed to that. And then um, five days before the signing um, that was supposed to pl take place in Truro and New Glasgow, um, I got a call telling me that the one in New Glasgow was being cancelled 
Um, but I should choose the word rescheduled because maybe after the holiday season or at some potential later date, I'm quoting from the public relations guy, um, they might have a signing. But there were, I, 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 it was a really emotional phone call for me. I was actually on the way to the city to do an interview for CTV. And, you know, I was, I was actually being asked to be quiet about it. Mm. And I, and I found that really troublesome, but I agreed to it because I just did not want to cause a problem for the people in the bookstore in New Glasgow. Right. But I kept saying, what kind of problem are we talking about here? Because if you're canceling a book signing in a little bookstore in rural, small town Nova Scotia, what kinds of threats or whatever would have to be made for you to do that. Mm -hmm. You know where the, could, the pressure was coming from? At that point, I knew nothing about a letter writing campaign, which had been orchestrated by the mill itself. Um, but they were talking about, there were, there were sort of vague hints that someone said they would destroy the book in front of me. They were worried for my safety. I said, I wasn't worried for my safety. I worked for BBC in Africa for so many years. I've covered coups. I've covered wars. Mm. Um, I've had their special hostile environment training. I said, I cannot imagine that I should be afraid in a bookstore in Nova Scotia. So it, that's how the conversation went. But I agreed again because I really felt for the staff of the bookstore that they were right. afraid of something. So I didn't want right. to make them unhappy. So I, I, I stayed quiet. Mm. And I went to the signing in Truro. So off I went to Truro for the book signing. And um, I sat there for an hour and a half. <laughs> and I actually read Graham Steele's book while I was sitting there. I bought it and read Graham Steele's book because I had, you know, in an hour and a half, I, three people bought the book. Uh -huh. I knew one of those people. And there was, you know, even the bookstore owner and I were laughing about the lack of interest. Uh -huh. Well, I was laughing ruefully about the lack of interest. <laughs> but what I had done <laughs> is I had called because Chapters wasn't giving me information that made me happy mm -hmm. or, or were explaining to me what had happened. I thought, let me just, we're in Nova Scotia. So I called Coles that week before the, the signing was to have happened and said, you know, because she again said that they were worried about, you know, a ruckus in the mall. They didn't want to cause problems for people, you know, who are shopping and there might be a problem with crowd control. So I said, okay, if that's the case, then let me just quietly come over there after I finish the book signing in Truro. I'll drive to New Glasgow and we'll go in a room somewhere out of public view and I'll sign some copies of the book for you. Mm -hmm. And she was really enthusiastic about that. And that's exactly what we did. And we went in a back room, closed the door. She mentioned at that point, the manager, um, something about some letters that looked like they had been kind of orchestrated or, you know, form letters from the mill, but didn't go into detail. Mm. And, um, you know, said that she had every intention of continuing to sell that book. And as soon as the books on the Halifax explosion and the anniversary had passed, she would be moving my book to the front table. So, you know, she she was very, very sympathetic. And she, she didn't really want to go into detail about the kinds of things that had been said to her. Mm -hmm. But she did say to me, that she, I, because there was one journalist I had been speaking with, and I said, can I give him your name? And she said, sure, go ahead. 
Um, I walked out of the bookstore. I walked out of the bookstore surreptitiously, incognito, <laughs> headed home, and I was halfway home when all those noises started going off on my phone, which told me there was a social media shitstorm happening. <laughs> and that social media shitstorm was that people had gone to the bookstore for the signing, which had had never officially been canceled. Learned it had been canceled, and they took to social media and they went crazy. And Are these protesters or, or fans? Yeah, pe- no, no. F- people who wanted to talk to me and wanted to meet me and wanted to buy the book. And, and so they were very upset that the, the, right. the bookstore had, that the signing had been canceled. We still didn't know by whom. So then we come to, I said that there were two stages of the launch and how it's going. Uh-huh. Now we come to this is stage two, two. When all hell broke loose. And the next thing I know, um, you know, the book is making national headlines in the Globe and Mail and Canadian press has picked it up and people are talking about a freedom of speech issue. So after the social media storm broke um, and it got into the local media, um, some people in Picto were given or slipped a copy of a form letter that had been sent to all the former employees and the employees of the mill, inviting them to boycott Coles to send a letter to headquarters of Hmm. chapters in Toronto and Coles in New Glasgow, threatening a boycott of their stores if they went ahead with the book signing because they found the book um, offensive. Hmm. And that was sent out to these people by the communication director from um, Northern Pulp slash Paper Excellence Canada, uh, Kathy Cloutier, in which she basically opined uh, that the book was, I can't remember, you know, factual, non-factual rhetoric or something to that effect. Hmm. So basically, it looks as if the, the mill itself was trying to or- orchestrate this uh, threat to a bookstore to get them to cancel the book signing. So it was after that, that it really hit the media because that letter of course made it into the hands of the media. And that's when the Globe and Mail picked it up and it's been nonstop since then. Mm. And I, I think probably by this point, folks that are listening will be interested in, in wondering what, what it is that's in the book. So, uh, um, you know, when I heard about this, I was one of the people who, uh, I think a few weeks earlier I had seen that the book had come out, but it wasn't until, uh, having read the Globe and Mail story that kind of, I said, okay, I'm going to pick this book up. And then, um, I think probably was one of the the people who would have wondered how a, a book like this could, with such a local focus could, could be causing such an, an uproar. And, and then when you're actually reading it, it becomes fairly obvious, but I, I wonder for folks who perhaps like me generally follow politics, but aren't necessarily, as deep into this or even as close to this as, as you are. Um, uh, I wonder if you could give a, a bit of a, a, a short version of, of what's happened at this mill uh, and in this community over the last 50 years. If it's, if it's safe to take a, a book of, you know, with 60 pages of endnotes and close to 300 pages of text and boil it down to two words, I would say corporate capture from day one. Even when the government of the day was negotiating to get Scott to come here, Scott Paper, which was the first owner, a big American Mm -hmm. uh, pulp and paper company, they made such an offer (laughs) that that today it's hard to imagine how they could have done it. Uh, The government of the time, apart from giving them access to over 100 million liters of water a day, um, which they had to build a dam to do, uh, they built a causeway for them. 
to link Abercrombie Point and, and Picto, um, gave them 230 access to 230,000 acres of some of our best crown land, which is in addition to the, the million acres that Scott already owned in Nova Scotia, um, gave them incredible tax breaks. And the biggest thing of all is that they agreed <laughs> that the people of Nova Scotia would, the Department of Environment would be responsible for the waste from the mill. And that mm. has, it dug, it dug us into a hole back in 1965 when the Scott Maritimes Act was signed. The mill opened in 1967 that persists today. And every government, be it progressive, conservative, liberal, or NDP, has somehow at some point caved to the mill, offered them amazing amounts of money in financing and grants, in um, perks, not sanctioned them when they um, exceeded their um, emission levels, um, not monitored them at all. I mean, the problem is, is that Nova Scotia is the regulator of the effluent, but we're also the owner of the effluent. Right. So it's just been a case of that's why I say it's 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 this book was not meant to be just about the pulp mill. I think it's it's kind of a microcosm that could be applied to a lot of large industries owned by multinational companies around the world where you really have a case where the corporation um, has captured the government. And every time a government that might want to stand up to them and say, okay, we're not going to have you clear cutting and spraying anymore, or you can't keep not passing your, um, and the environmental, you know, your emissions tests that are written right. in the industrial approval, um, the mill just threatens to close mm. or they threaten to sue the government, which has happened over and over again. So governments cave. Mm -hmm. um, and the other problem has been, in addition to the corporate capture, I would say it's corporate collusion. Um, there's been this, uh, well, as an example now, an ex-premier, uh, John Hamm, is the chair of the board of the Northern Pulp Corporation, which is sort of actually four or five companies that are all subsidiaries of Paper Excellence Canada, which is in turn subsidiary of a giant Indonesian conglomerate. Um we have the campaign manager for the current Liberal MP from Central Nova, who has joined the board. Um, the lawyer who, up until 2014, was a registered lobbyist for the mill and who worked on behalf of the mill in private practice as a lawyer and who, in fact, whose initials Signature is on the indemnity agreement that was signed in 1995 that made Nova Scotians responsible in perpetuity for everything to do with Boat Harbour and a reconfigured effluent system at some point. That lawyer is now a deputy minister. He was handpicked by Premier Stephen McNeil in 2014, and he was given a deputy um, minister post. Yeah, it really did seem like reading through the history of it and that it's it's a very much been a revolving door uh, for quite some time, both with with money and human resources and you know everything that uh, that keeps an operation like this um, running. I thought it was uh, you you kind of start the book by talking about uh, the Dr. Seuss story of the Lorax, and I think. At the beginning, readers are, well, at least this reader was sort of like, okay, yeah, I've heard heard that example before. But then by the end, you're, you know, it's, it, it really is like if you were writing a storybook version of an environmental takeover, it would, 
you know, this is the story. I probably shouldn't have put the Lorax in there, but I just always loved that book. <laughs> well, no, I, mean, I guess what I'm saying is that it, it did feel like it, it was a very, once you get to the end, you realize it's a, it's a very appropriate comparison in a way that perhaps not every, every environmental tragedy necessarily is. You know, it could be hyperbole in other places, but it d- didn't feel... It didn't feel out of place, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing about, you know, the, <laughs> it is, it's almost a metaphor, but, but the other thing that's very powerful to me was very powerful um, and a, a real shock was that when I started to work on this book, I, I actually hadn't intended to talk about protest. Mm. Uh, originally, the, the working title, which is terrible, but it was called The Mel, 50 Years of Pulp Nonfiction. And <laughs> um, only when I started researching it and people were passing me over their grandfather's files and scrapbooks that I realized people had started protesting this mill before it even opened. Back in 1965, you know, the fishers, the fishermen in the area and the property owners in the area knew that it was going to be an environmental disaster for them. Mm-hmm. And that really gave me courage. And I wanted to bring that out really strongly because every decade or so, a new wave of protesters would would get themselves together. And so I, I really want, you know, sometimes people say Nova Scotians are complacent and you know we're apathetic no we're not people have been fighting tooth and nail and the amount of time and energy that and expertise that people put into these things i mean the research that they do on their own time mm. their letter writing to governments they're they're writing press releases they're they're doing everything under the sun to try to get the government to listen to them and to protect them and it, it be, it's a very emotional story because Half of those people that I interviewed, and I interviewed people from several different decades mm. of protest, <laughs> protesting on, nonstop for 30 years, but so many of them broke down in tears. They couldn't even tell me the story because they're so disheartened and so frustrated by their own elected officials. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that that was whether they were protesting the way our forests have been abused and how forest policies have been shaped by the pulp industry in this province or they were protesting the air pollution, or they were protesting the water pollution, or they were protesting the way even the pollution of our politics by this, with this collusion between the pulp mill executives and the pulp industry and our government. They've, they've been fighting forever on all those fronts. It's time to take a break and remind you to subscribe to the podcast. If you're enjoying this conversation and want to hear more conversations like it, please subscribe. We release episodes every Wednesday. Search for it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher by searching for On The Record Off Script. If you're listening from our website at springtide.ngo, you should see a little box where you can enter your email address to get updates and we'll send you an email each Wednesday when a new show is released. Actually, it's a robot that does that. It's an RSS thing. It's very automated. Um, Go to springtide.ngo slash mill to find this episode and the page I'm talking about. And I'm curious for for your perspective, because I, I don't think many people have as long a view in general, on, on 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 politics in Nova Scotia, and certainly not on a specific issue like this, I'm sort of 
of the mind that if, you know, if something hasn't changed for so long, but all the facts, I mean, in the book, you lay out the facts about the human health impacts, the environmental impacts, the impacts on the indigenous community in, in the area. And it just seems like a no brainer. Do you have a sense of if, if, if there is a root cause perhaps that we're, we're not seeing uh, as to why a situation like the one you've described in our conversation and in the book um, to why that situation perhaps hasn't been remedied already? Boy, that's a complex one and I've really pondered it. Um, I think it was captured beautifully in a column today by John Dumont, actually. Um, The colonial mentality of the settler population that came to Canada was one of extraction. Um, You know, take the natural resources, get a job, sell them, export them. And if, you know, often (laughs) to foreign corporations, you know, mining, cutting, fishing, all of our resources, we've somehow allowed um, those industries to sort of control the political destiny of the province. Mm. Instead of the government seeing stepping back, looking around the world and saying, what do we have in Nova Scotia that very few places still have? And one of the things that we have is a fairly low population density compared with most places on the planet. We have an absolutely stunning province. We have beautiful rivers, lakes. We used to have beautiful forests. We have an we have different coastlines. This, this province, with small investment in the rural areas, could build, to me, on a foundation of, of small and medium-sized businesses instead of putting our hands in the, putting our fate in the very uncaring hands of giant, multinational, extractive industries. Mm. And so governments are afraid of that transition because it's a, it's a difficult one because it involves jobs. And there's this, you know, I want a job. And I understand the importance of jobs. But think of the number of jobs that we don't have because of giant industries that make a place uninhabitable mm-hmm. or unpleasant to live. Or, for example, the woodlot owners in this province who can't even survive or even they lose money if they try to sustainably manage and harvest their own woodlots because there's a the the price of wood products has been suppressed there's been a race to the bottom we're going now for chips pulp was bad enough now we're going for chipping our forests instead of value adding in the rural areas to the, the amazing things that you can find in our forests not to mention the value for the environment and for wildlife and you know we could really step up um our ecotourism, drawing hunters and fisher um, people, anglers from all over the world, bird bird watchers. There's so many things that people would come to Nova Scotia to see. And if you've traveled a lot abroad, and then or you have friends who come from really crowded, polluted parts of the world to Nova Scotia, they say, "Why would you be mining?" why don't you just turn this whole province into a place that will draw people who love to see natural beauty and, and sustainable farming and all of those sustainable industries. I mean, this is what the fishermen are saying now in, in um, Pictou County that they're afraid that 
Northern Pulp and the Department of Environment, which is not demanding a class two environmental assessment of that new effluent system, um, are going to be putting at risk the most sustainable industry and livelihood that there is along the North Shore of Nova Scotia mm-hmm. for a few hundred jobs in a mill. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's going to take politicians who have courage um, to stand up and actually lead with vision and not to just repeat the mistakes of the past or shunt the big problems over to their, the next government and dig the hole deeper for us. It's interesting that there are only two MLAs who have spoken out in the last few months about the Northern Pulp issue. They're both women and they're different parties. One is Lenore Zan from the NDP and one is Carla McFarlane of the, the PCs. And she's under enormous pressure. That is her riding. Well, I'm curious to ask about the the public support behind this because it, it seems like um, even for many of the people who I don't know about now, but I know reading from the book, you mentioned folks that have worked in the mill not necessarily uh, being supportive of the way it does business or feeling the health impacts of having worked there. What would your, I guess, read on the, the general public public appetite for significant meaningful change on this uh, be within Picto County? It's such a delicate issue in Picto County. And and honestly, I feel that the, the, the workers are, are, in an absolutely untenable position because they've never, they're not the ones making the decisions. They never have been. And, you know, a lot of them are quite aware that there's, there are problems. Um, Some of them are being really influenced by the mill management. And I have had messages from mill workers who say, you know what, it'd be really great if the government just bought us out. So, you know, there's, there's really mixed feeling on, on, but there are also people who say, well, if that mill closes and I'm going to have to leave the province. So it's an extremely difficult situation and it's pitting neighbor against neighbor, family member against family member. And so the fishers, fishermen are saying, you know, well, we've got livelihoods too. And, you know, it's not, no government's ever going to have to clean up the mess we've left behind us when the you know, when we, when our industry comes to an end at whatever it is going to be. And, you know, they, they feel the, the Picto County is full right now of signs that say no pulp waste in our water, full. But there are ugly incidents happening too, where they, they put up signs, their signs are yanked down and then there's garbage put on their lawns. It's very tense. And I, I think it's a complete abdication by the political leadership of this province that they haven't said anything. That they're allowing the environment department to continue to go along and say, okay, it's not a new system, so you don't need a class two environmental assessment. It's just the shorter class one. And once it's registered, it's really fast, it's accepted. And it, it, to me, it is absolutely incomprehensible that in 2017, knowing what we know now, the government is silent on this issue. What do you think the lessons are here for activists who are trying to continuing to push uh, push change in this area and uh, and on issues like this. What do you think their activism will look like going forward? What I would like to see, one, is more people being active in politics and um, in how well they're being represented and governed. And two, I would like to see um, all the different groups that form because they're 
acting locally and they see a problem forming in their area, be it the the push to mine in protected areas um, and including sacred Mi'kmaq territory or mm. the push to blow up Fogarty's Cove. So, you know, they'll have road construction materials for the southern U.S. or gold mine in the Cobequid Mountains and try to get, again, big investors to come in and do that or prop up <laughs> a, a pulp mill that's the paper mill in Port Hawkesbury that's burning up, you know, massive amounts of trees to to keep itself running, supposedly because it's green. I would like to see all the groups that form. There's there's you know the Eastern Shore for, from the Eastern Shore Forestry Watch to the Friends of Northumberland Strait Group because they're all over the province. I would just like to see people working together and recognize that all of these issues are connected. Hmm. That if something bad, a quarry is being, you know, pushed through in your backyard, probably somewhere else in the province, people are always also dealing with the same problem. And that you should look not just in your own backyard, but look at all of Nova Scotia, because it's it's all of our backyards. So when I hear people kind of dismissed, you know, it's another term that gets dismissed sort of by the reactionary status quo forces is all oh, just NIMBYs. Well, <laughs> you know, the people who have been pushing for the gold mining up in the Cobequid Hills up here in northern Nova Scotia live in Halifax. Yeah, would they want a gold mine in their backyard? But they will turn around, people will turn around and say to the people who don't want it, they say, oh, they're just NIMBYs. And so that to me is a really, it's, it's a really um, destructive unconstructive way of looking at things and of dismissing people who have genuine concerns for the environmental health of an area that they live in. What are some of the things that are happening now since uh, since your book uh, has received some some national media attention and, and the spotlight has been shone not just on, on what you're doing, but what the mill has been doing? Well, it's been overwhelming. And I'm, I'm, I've actually, I'm half, half the time I'm close to tears because it's been really humbling. The um, the community support has been absolutely amazing. Um, you know, I know I've heard comments about you know the mill, the the book being demeaning of workers, or that you know it's not accurate, it's not fair, or whatever. Um, you know, the mill management and board were invited to speak. They didn't. So a lot of citizens now who might not necessarily be sympathetic towards the book or really have much interest in it are really offended one by the fact that you know I wasn't allowed to sign a book in a, mm. in a bookstore um for the sake of a relatively you know relatively few people and two that I'm being characterized and the book is being characterized as as something that it isn't, um, and that those people are now coming up and wanting to speak when they refused to speak to me before. So the support has been overwhelming. Immediately when word broke that the book signing had been cancelled in New Glasgow, I was invited by a, a lovely small uh, gift shop in downtown Picto on Water, the Water Street studio to come in and sign books last Saturday. And I actually said, aren't you afraid? <laughs> Mm -hmm. And she said, absolutely not. And uh, so I went there and it was extreme. It was so gratifying. As I say, it's, it's really humbling because within 40 minutes, she had sold out her supply of books. What's really, really gratifying to me um, is a lot of the people who are coming to the buy, buy the book are, are fishermen. And mm. 
people who who normally probably you know, wouldn't have been interested in the book, but it's been given all this publicity. And so they say that it's really important for them to understand the history of how the mill is operated. So that was an extremely successful and gratifying morning. And I have another signing, another small gift shop in Stellarton called The Art of Divination, immediately offered also to host a signing. And that's com- this coming Saturday, the 16th of December from 1 to 3 in the afternoon. And, I, and I'm one of the few people in the province who still has a few books because it's, it's run out. <laughs> so we're waiting for the new shipment to the new printing to come in. But I actually am one of the few people who have a few books. So I will be signing books there. And then the most, I think the most exciting um, and potentially it's, it's a huge thing for me is um, the Picto Lodge that has been very, very quiet over the years and very patient with the pollution coming from the mill. I mean, they have lost people who come in when the wind is blowing out towards Picto Lodge. The smell can be pretty bad, but they've been very, mm. very quiet. Um, they're all businesses together. And but recently at the Tourism Industry Association, the um, owner of the Picto Lodge spoke out uh, about the plans for the new effluent disposal, which would, if it happens, would take it right out in front of the Picto Lodge beach beach resort Mm. and uh, spoke about the smell and the effect on other businesses in the area of that mill, because it's been a real deterrent to other businesses. And um, very shortly thereafter, he was contacted by the mill um, and asked to apologize publicly. And when he refused, uh, the Northern Pulp canceled their Christmas party that had been scheduled for this Saturday, the 16th at at, uh, Picto Lodge, which struck an awful lot of people in the community as extremely petty and bullying behavior. So the community stepped up. I hear that uh, a lot of people are buying gift certificates for for Picto Lodge, but mostly the the Fishermen's Association that normally doesn't organize Christmas parties has booked Picto Lodge for Sunday night for a big Christmas party for themselves. But before it starts, from 6 to 7 in the evening, there's going to be a book party and, um, you know, a clean the mill party. So Dave Gunning will be performing and uh, I'll be there with some books and um, signing books. And it's open to the public and I think it'll be a really nice party. It sure sounds like there there is a lot of response, both in the community and, and, and a lot further away from the community to, to what you've done. So, like I said, I read most of the book over the weekend and it was, uh, uh, just, yeah, a super detailed, deep dive into what has been happening in a, in a very small place. But I think, like you said, has, uh, a lot of broader and more thematic, uh, lessons in it for people who are interested in, in, in what's happening in, in Nova Scotia communities in Nova Scotia politics and, and beyond. So uh, thanks for what I'm sure is a, a, a colossal amount of work to, to put something like this together. Thanks to you. And can I just add that it would have taken me five years to do this book if I weren't using the work of all those people who came before me, who researched mm. and wrote and, and protested and then passed me their files. It would have taken me forever to do. <laughs> all I did was put it all together. Hmm. So maybe so the other I, lesson for activists here is keep keep your research notes. Somebody might write a book about it someday. 
Thanks for listening to the Offscript podcast. As always, you can find links to any of the articles, resources, and books, in this case, Jones booked that were mentioned in the show by scrolling through the episode description and in this episode's show notes over at springtide.ngo slash mill. Offscript is a podcast produced by Springtide. We are a Canadian charity committed to helping listeners everywhere lead change through politics with their integrity intact. You can find us at springtide.ngo, facebook.com slash springtideco, or on Twitter at springtideco. You can find me on Twitter at Mark Coffin. Subscribe to the podcast, search for Offscript wherever you listen to podcasts. There are also a couple of things you can do to help the show. A big one is rate and review the podcasts in Apple Podcasts. If you only have a second, just make a star rating between one and five. If you have a whole minute, write a one-sentence review that tells us and others why you plan to keep listening. It really helps the show. And the other thing you can do is share this conversation with your network on social media using the link springtide.ngo slash mill. If you have suggestions for guests or other topics that we could cover on the show, let us know at offscript at springtide.ngo. That's an email address, offscript at springtide.ngo. See you next Wednesday.